The views and opinions of the guests of the MeUS podcast do not represent the views and opinions of Consumers Energy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to MeUS, a well-being podcast. It's another Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and I'm your host, Bill Krieger. Today, my guest is Charlie Henning. Charlie is a retired postal worker, as well as a Marine. Not a former Marine, not an ex-Marine, but a Marine through and through. And today, we're going to talk about service, both in the military and after the military. So, Charlie, if you'd introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started. I'm, uh, I'm Charlie Henning. I, I live in Zilwaukee, Michigan, not Milwaukee. So, uh, it's, it's a nice, small little town, uh, probably about 1,800 people here. We're off the river, Saginaw River. It's nice, good people around here. When I was uh, growing up, I went to school here to the ninth grade because we had a kindergarten to ninth grade school. So all my friends were here, and, and we, we just formed relationships up all the way up to the ninth grade until high school, you know. And I, uh, my father died when I was 13, and I was uh, being the oldest of uh, 10 children. I was uh, kind of cast into that area where um, I got to be the big brother and stuff like that, you know. I did okay for a year or so, and then when I graduated from high school, I kind of found a little way to be rebellious and, and things like that, you know. So uh, I had long hair back in the 60s when it wasn't uh, common at that time. So I, I had a little stigma around me if people knew me and things like that. But uh, I'd also been an altar boy, so it was a big change, you know. So, <laughs> so people yeah. weren't quite used to me doing that after being an altar boy for, for quite a few years. Um I was, you know, graduated from high school and I was working in a machine shop and everything. And my brother was going to go into the Marine Corps, and he talked to me about it. And I had no idea; I had no inkling of going into the service at that time. But I was lost. I, I wanted to get on the right path, and I knew the Marine Corps had had what it took to get me on the straight path. So he and I went down to um, to the Marine Corps, and we we're going to go on a buddy program, which means. You go together to boot camp and you get to see each other. So, the, you know, it's like family and stuff like that, right? So we went down there and they sent me back on the day we were supposed to ship out because I had asthma and hay fever when I was younger, so I had scarring on my lungs. So they sent me back. And I thought, well, my brother's on his way, you know. About four hours later, he comes in, and they didn't send him neither because he had a health issue. So... So my health issue got cleaned up quicker than his did. So I ended up going ahead of him. And so I was a month ahead of him in, in boot camp. And uh, while I was in boot camp, I, it just so happened that one day in child line, I, uh, he was in the next platoon next to me. And uh, that's the last time I seen him until uh, we went to Vietnam, you know. So, um, but he's he's still around and everything like that, you know. And, and uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's something that we, that we did, you know. And, uh, well, it's it's interesting that um, so I didn't know this ahead of ahead of time, and that's that's why we do these interviews, right? Is that you're actually from Zilwaukee, and you know I have found in my time uh, during my military career as well that a, a lot of us come back home at some point uh, for for lots of reasons. Um, so it must be n- nice to be back here. Uh, in your childhood home, everything's sort of familiar to you, although I'm sure things have changed a little bit as well, just like uh, the altar boy growing his hair out. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, so the buddy program doesn't sound like it really worked out well for you and your brother, um, although you did get to see him, it sounds like, once. Now, you said uh, before you left for uh, Vietnam, now, did your brother uh, also go to Vietnam? Yes, he went to Vietnam. As a matter of fact, I was in, uh, I was in training uh, to go over there, and um, I had just gotten married a couple of weeks before I, before I went. Um, never intending of coming back, but, you know, because Vietnam back then was a scary place, you know, and, and being, you know, I was a little older than most of the kids that went in. I was 20 years old at the time, you know, and uh, so I, I didn't have any grandeur ideas of coming back, you know, and so I figured, you know, just get married and uh, provide an income for my wife and, and my, my daughter and stuff like that. And uh, my brother calls me up. And he says, um, he says, Chuck. And I says, yeah. He says, uh, you don't have to go to Vietnam. And I says, what are you talking about? He says, well, I just volunteered to take your place because they can't send two brothers over at the same time in a combat zone. <laughs> and I looked at him and I says, hey. I says, you're talking about the Sullivan case here. They can't send the last male that carries on the family name. You've got six brothers at home that can carry on the family name. I'll see you over there. So, so, <laughs> so his, his little plan didn't really work out, did it, Charlie? As much as he loved me, it didn't work out. <laughs> oh, no. so. I, I'm assuming the other six either were too young or didn't want to go. Well, they were. They had gone into the Army oh, okay. and, and, and uh, a little bit after that and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, but, yeah, I, I said, well, yeah, I'm glad you got my back, bud, but I'll catch you over there. <laughs> so, but, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, it, it was cute that he thought about me. Him. but uh, yeah so did you did you see him when you were over there at all i seen him one time mm -hmm. i seen him one time in the in the night uh the the day i was supposed to rotate back to the states um he got shelled over there and i didn't know i didn't know if he made it yeah and i wouldn't leave him Till I found out, you know. So how long was it before you found out? Uh, I found out about about four or five hours after that, that that he was okay, you know. And then I I came back, but longest four or five hours of your life, I have to yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. And and he came home. Uh, I think it was about a month, month and a half after that, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, you can't. Nah. No, it's not worth it. It's, it's not worth it, you know, not knowing. But. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's this brotherhood that we have being in the military. There's a special brotherhood that you have being in the Marine Corps, but this is your actual blood brother as yeah. well. So yeah. that's that had to be very difficult. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I was happy to come home, but and, and after knowing that he was safe and everything like that, it made it a lot made it a lot better. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was it was good. It was good. So yeah. So you came home. How long were you there? Uh, eleven months and ooh, about eleven and a half months. I was there. You know. Okay. So. And uh, what kind of what kind of things did you do when you were there? What was your job? My job was to uh, to go out and I went to school in Fubai there to to learn how to um, um, uh, decontaminate vehicles and, and and stuff like that. And then I was embedded with the. Uh, the 5th Marines, uh, 11th Marines artillery unit, the 7th Marines and stuff like that. And I was, uh, stayed with them and, and uh, made sure they had everything squared away and volunteered to go out on patrols with them and stuff like that because, you know, 
a Marine is a Marine, you know, and you train as a rifleman and that's, that's what you're trained as, you know, and being over there, you, you know, you didn't feel like you were doing anything if you couldn't help. If you, you know, even though you're, even if you were an office person, you were still out in the thick of things because you had to run unit diaries and stuff out there and you had to run patrols. You had to do guard duty out there and everything else. Just because you're a clerk doesn't mean you weren't in combat. I mean, that's, I think people get the idea that you're working behind a desk. No, that's not true. You can be on the front lines and work behind a desk and pick up your rifle because you're getting overrun. You know, that's that's the way it is. You know, so yeah, yeah. Well, and for the, and for the listeners, that's one of the things about the Marine Corps is everyone's trained as a rifleman infantry, uh, and then whatever you do is is kind of secondary to all of that. I mean, really, the Marine Corps first in, last out. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, you went over there. You did all of this. Um, clearly survived. Came home. Uh, what was it like coming home? Well, you know, unless you've been there or done that, you know, back in those days, um, uh, anti-war, uh, especially Vietnam, um, the people here about the Hare Krishnas and stuff like that. They were in the airports, LA airport, uh, any airport that you went into. Uh, Chicago, places like that, they were all there. And uh, um, they were, what you hear is true. You know, they they spit at you. They called you baby killers and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, and you know, you took it because you're still in the military. You can't, you know, you, you'd want to do something to them. But, you know, you got your, your code of ethics and, and stuff like that. And you're still government-owned. You can't be doing stuff like that, you know. So it, it it was it was difficult. It was difficult. But uh, when I came back home here, because it's such a small community and stuff like that, um, um, I didn't have that in my community. Mm-hmm. It was different, you know. Zawaki is uh, made up of uh, a lot of veterans through a lot of wars, and they understand. And when we grew up here, um, your kids stayed here too. A lot of a lot of the People that I grew up with are still living here, you know, got their parents' house or something like that because that's the kind of a community it is. So it was fairly easy to come back here because they understood, you know. So then then you just kind of shy away from groups and crowds and, and, and stuff like that. And um, it's, you, have to, you have to go ahead and figure out what's best for you. You know, and, and and what you can do. And like I say, I was a little older than a lot of those kids over there. I had a little bit more seasoning and uh, a little bit more life experiences. So um, my coping mechanisms were probably a, a little bit raised at that time. And so I just went ahead and, you know, worked on that and stuff like that. So things that would bother somebody else may not bother me as much. It bothered me, but not to a point where I'd react or overreact or something like that, you know. So my coping mechanism, and I've always worked on my coping mechanisms because, um, you know, you just don't want to go through life messed up, you know, especially when you got a family and everything like that. You know? oh, I, I, I completely agree. So, I, you know, my experience coming home from combat was was vastly different from yours. 
Um, but you know, one thing kind of held true for me and I've, people have said this and I didn't get it until I actually experienced, they've said, you know, it's, it's really hard to go to war, but it's almost harder coming back. So what do you think about that? It is because it, it does definitely change you, you know, uh, it, it changes you. I mean, when you get out of basic, it changes you, but it changes you for a good thing. When you come back from combat, it changes you, and you don't know how it's changed until you come back to the world and you react. And people say stupid things, put you off, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a trigger. It depends on how you can cope with that and how you adjust to it, you know. And after all these tours that these kids have gone over for Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff like that, I really feel sorry for them because of the fact that they've done so many deployments. And all you have to do is go one time to be taken care. I mean, you know, your 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 mind is, you know, you've seen it. Right. You go two, three. You don't have the time to re- regroup. You go another time. You go another time. You know, you come back here and you say, well, you know, you expect it here too. You know, and you don't know. You know, you gotta you gotta hide away and and hold everything in reserve because people don't know what's going on out there. You know. Lately, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, they understand PTSD and stuff like that, you know. But you can get PTSD for, for anything. Right. But, but in combat, that's a different type of PTSD. You know, that's that's something, you know, in, in, in the memories and the flashbacks and stuff like that will always, always stay with you. It's just a matter if you can, can uh, compartmentalize them and put them away and uh, try to think of the good things, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's, well, you know, that's, that's interesting because I, um, I have PTSD myself and uh, I, I went through a lot of years of treatment and I always, you know, like I got done with my treatment. I thought, well, I'm like, this is fixed. It's like a broken leg right now. My, my mind is fixed. What I found out was that's not necessarily true. Like it does, you're right. It doesn't go away. We just learn to deal with it. We learn to, uh, compartmentalize it. We learn to um, understand it, and we learn to live with it. But you're right; it it never it never goes away. In fact, you know, you asked me how my drive up here was today, and my drive was amazing. It's beautiful out, and everything else. But you know, that little tinge of anxiety was kind of underlying, and I, I don't even know why because I haven't felt that way in a while. Um, but it was there, but I recognized it, and I didn't let it control me. I, you know did the things that I needed to do to take care of it. So I, I get what you're saying about that. Um, but it, it sounds like once you got back home, it was a little bit different experience and maybe I don't want to say made it easier, but made it a, a different experience for someone who maybe didn't come home to a, a town as welcoming as, as Milwaukee is. Um, now you said you got married before you left. Mm-hmm. Um, were you still married at this time when you came home? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was married. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife, Mary just passed away uh, in 2018. We had uh, 48 years that we were together, you know, and that's, that's pretty darn good for a military man to have a wife for 48 years, you know? <laughs> yes. And, 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 and she raised my, uh, my four kids uh, for the first seven years of their lives because I was, I was deployed quite a few times, not in combat zones, but in Marine Corps, you're always on deployment someplace, you know? Right. And so she would, uh, she would take care of the kids and everything like that, you know? And, and, uh, she was, uh, she was really good at that, you know? She was, she was really, really good, you know? And, and, uh, 
I miss her. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll bet you do. I'm I, I'm sorry for your loss, and that's that's amazing. Over forty years of of marriage, um, and you're right, surviving not just being in the military, but having survived uh, coming home from combat and all the things that come with that. So um, that's. That's an incredible love story. I think that's probably a whole podcast episode all by itself. Just in the few times we've talked, your your wife just sounds like an incredible woman. Uh, yeah, she 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 is. She still is. You know, yeah, she she was. And the kids, uh, man, yeah, they miss her. They miss her. But you know, the the thing is, you know, and and I'd like to get this out there that um, I've got a grandson that just uh, is going in the Marine Corps. Uh, he told me yesterday he's got a ship date. And uh, it's it's hard for the family, any family, to have a grandson or a son go go to the service, not knowing what's what's going to happen to him if he's going to come back and things like that, you know. And I I understand the feelings completely, and I got to thinking that you know it's harder on the family back here than it is on the individual over there, you know, because when I was deployed all those times, I, I knew I was safe. Right. I knew, I knew where I was. I knew what was going on. They don't back here. And every day they worry, especially if it's a first generation uh, grandson or, or a son or something like that, you know, but it's, it's the people back here that, 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 that really are really, really, really hurting, you know, and yeah. it's, it's just it's it's sad, and I just try to convey that to them that uh, you know I feel your pain, you know, and, and I understand where you're coming from, you know. Uh, write letters, call them, talk to them, whatever it is, just to ease their mind, so they know that you're okay. Because it's hard not knowing. No, you're you're absolutely right because I've been on both sides of that. I've have deployed to combat myself, and then I've been home with the kids when my wife deployed into combat, and so I got a taste for both sides of that uh, that equation. And um, yeah, when you're in and you're in it, um, you're just doing what you have to do every day to survive. Uh, and for me, it didn't catch up with me until I came back and I wasn't in it anymore. Right, right, right. right? But yeah. when, but when you're home, you have a lot of time to think. Uh, about that person who's deployed. So, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Write letters home, you know, let people know you're okay. Um, I had made an agreement with my family that I would not tell them how bad it was there if they wouldn't tell me how bad it was here because stuff always goes wrong when you're not home. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, you came back, but you stayed in the Marine Corps. for So how, how long were you in the Corps? Uh, almost nine years uh, originally, you know, and then uh, – I really planned to make it my career, you know, because I love the Corps. I loved it, you know. Um, and uh, my wife uh, mentioned it to me one day. Uh, well, you know, like wives do, but it wasn't really a mention. It was like an ultimatum. Uh, you, uh, if we want to stay as a family, you're going to have to get out of the Marine Corps because I can't, I can't stay moving around, we moved around, moved around, moved around. I wasn't at home and stuff like that. She said, we can't stay a family if, if when you're in the Marine Corps. So I had a decision to make back then, and and uh, so I got rid of all my uniforms. You know, I kept two sets of uniforms, got rid of all my uniforms, dress blues and everything, because I knew I couldn't afford to buy new uniforms again. So that kind of forced me to make that decision, you know, because... I couldn't throw a coin, 
cost a coin, whatever it is, I had to do something that was that would make me make a decision. Right. I got rid of all my uniforms except for two, and that I said, "All right, I'll get out. I'll get out." So I did, and um, I was I was lucky enough to get a job at the, at the postal service there. So I was a letter carrier for uh, thirty seven years. So um, um, you know, I I believe in destiny. I believe that's the way uh, the way it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. Well, and as a letter carrier, uh, you. Did some pretty interesting things. I I read some uh, some newspaper clippings. Uh, you didn't just deliver the mail. Um, I know at one time there was an apartment fire, and uh, you didn't just call the fire department, right? You did some other things. So can you talk a little bit about that particular instance? Uh, I was on my route, and it I think it was about a year after I come back, uh, and. Uh, there was a fire, there was a grease fire in one of the bottom apartments, and I happened to be delivering mail there at that time, and I smelt it, and, and the fire alarm went off, and I seen where the smoke was coming from. So I went and knocked on the door, and uh, the guy, Sidney Oliver, was in there, and uh, he had a grease fire, and the smoke was billowing out of the apartment and stuff like that, and he's trying to put it out with a tablecloth or a towel or something like that. Oh, no. And I says, I said, man, I said, you got to get out of here. You can't control that, you know. So he's... Uh, he assured me that he would he would get out, and then I uh, I knew it was a twelve bin, twelve uh, unit apartment there, and I knew there were some people in there. I didn't know how many, but I've been on there for the route for like twenty three years, so I kind of knew who was around and stuff like that. So yeah. I went upstairs and and uh, knocked on all the doors and stuff like that. And uh, uh, a lady was up there; she was elderly, and, and she was uh, watching a young child, probably about seven eight years old. And I got them down and and. Uh, uh, then I went downstairs, and, and the smoke was pretty thick then, and, and um, I checked to see if Sidney was out of his apartment, and, and he was. So then I went outside, and, and uh, the fire trucks came. He said he already called the fire department at the time, you know, and I just continued to finish up my route that day. I was a little late back getting back to the post office, but it was justified. So they didn't penalize yeah, me. I was going to say, they didn't, they didn't like dock your pay or something for no, that, no, did no, they? No, it was justified. So. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I smelled a little smoky, but, you know, yeah. that, you know. But, yeah, yeah, it was justified. So, yeah, they, yeah, it, it was okay. It was okay. Well, nice. And you were, I mean, you really got, you were recognized for that. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you went to Washington, D.C. with, with your wife. Did you go with your whole family or? Uh, just my wife to the Washington, D.C. They, um, they, between, uh, Michigan, Indiana and, uh, Ohio, I think it is. They pick a, uh, a regional hero for that year, you know, for, you know, and they picked me out of the three states to, to represent the Central Michigan Hero of the Year. So they gave us a, a week in uh, D.C. and gave us awards and, and, and stuff like that and uh, took us to see the uh, the memorials and stuff like that, which uh, if, if I went and went there, I wouldn't have seen the Vietnam Memorial, you know. So it was it, it was pretty, pretty nice. It was pretty nice. Yeah. But uh, it was an experience. Yeah. Oh, that's that's pretty incredible. Now, I don't know if I got these two things out of order, but there was another time too where uh, there had been a car accident or something, and and uh, that was a little. It's, it seems like it might have even been a little more serious for the person involved in that. So, what happened there? Uh, it, was, it was probably about a mile from here, and, and uh, they were redoing the road there, so it was gravel on the road. And the lady uh, lost guitar, uh, control of her car and slipped into a drainage ditch. Well. 
if you're from the Midwest and you know what drainage ditches are, they're huge. I mean, you know, they're maybe 30 feet wide and maybe uh, 20 feet deep and stuff like that. And depending on the year, depends how deep the water is, you know. Well, she was, her car went into the water and she was submerged in the water. And there was one man down there already uh, when I when I stopped. And uh, he says, uh, help me, you know. So I went down there and I took a look and, and the lady was in the car and her seat, she couldn't undo her seatbelt and all the windows were rolled up. And she couldn't get out because she was hysterical, you know. So um, someone gave me a brick, and I broke in, uh, broke in the window, the back window, and then uh, went in and got her unhooked, and we dragged her up to the up to the bank there. And then by that time, uh, other people had come to help and stuff like that. But she wrote me a letter, you know. Uh, that that one there was a little a little bit more dramatic than, than, the, than the fire one, you know, because mm-hmm. she was actually in the water drowning, you know. And so uh, I was shooken up a little bit about that one there. But she wrote me a letter after that um, saying that uh, she appreciated me and, and how, do, how do you thank someone that saves her life and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I, was, I was just happy that uh, she came out okay and everything and got to be with her family and stuff, you know. That's, that's all that. That's all that matters. So, you know, if we um, if we kind of look back from that point to the time that you're in the uh, Postal Service, I mean, it's just a continuous life of service uh, through the Marine Corps, uh, staying there for nine years, uh, joining the Postal Service, because um, I know people complain about their, their carrier all the time, but that's not an easy job. <laughs> that is not an easy job because you guys are out there doing it when no one else is and so it's just that continuous service that i i see throughout your life before we get too much further along though i know in that period of time uh when when you were uh working with the postal service and probably in the marine corps for a little while uh you had kids so how many children do you have uh i've got four um and uh, i've got uh, two daughters and two sons and um they're all doing well you know they've got their families and stuff like that they're all doing well and uh, I see them quite often, you know, they, you know, uh, they come over, they like to go swimming and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, but uh, the thing with that is they grew up uh, with a mother that showed nothing but love to them. And that mother also um, calmed me down a lot. She, she helped me be um, softer and uh and less negative, you know, and um, because of that, uh, I bec- I become like she was in a way, you know. The kids uh, respect me for that, and and um, uh, and, and it was because of her that uh, I'm I'm like that, you know. She's she just that's the way she lived, and, and she loved everybody, and everybody loved her, and, and uh, uh, you know, yeah, you know. If I always thought to myself, I said, you know. I'm a lucky man. I mean, how many people can really say that you are truly loved and know that you're loved? Okay. You can say, I love you. I love you when you go out the door and stuff like that. But how many people can actually say that they know that they're loved? You know, I don't know. I was. Sounds like you all were. I was. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Well, when you think back on the, on your life with the kids and, and with your wife, um, is there like a favorite 
family memory that you have, like a favorite thing that happened? I mean, for me, there's a lot of those, but, right. but I could usually point to one or two. Is there a favorite family memory? Well, one that sticks in my mind is we went to the Kellogg's factory uh, when we went uh, uh, on a vacation one time. And um, the girls the girls didn't want to wear the mesh nets on their hairs, you know. <laughs> right. And they had to. And when we took a picture of them, they were really sullen looking, you know. I mean, they didn't want to be there. They didn't want, and, and I told them, you got to keep the mesh nets on. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's not the a rules. picture. You know, it's, the it's rules. not a picture if you don't put the mesh nets on, right? <laughs> so they did. They 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 look pretty forlorn in, in that picture there, you know. But I think that one there was uh, probably um, uh, the one that sticks my mind most uh, with vacation. But we always went to Cedar Point um, because back then I had a travel trailer and we'd go there and spend it, uh, spend the weekend in the campground there. And the kids that we were able to trust them to go ahead and, and, and go to Cedar Point and do things, they enjoyed that a lot. I I enjoyed doing that with them too, you know. So yeah, yeah, just just being around the kids and um, uh, knowing that they could bring their friends to our house, and there was no judgment mm-hmm. because. They did have some friends that were uh, um, not well liked by their parents and things like that, you know. But they could always feel safe here. And to this day, the grandkids do, you know, the same thing. You bring your bring your friends over, bring your baseball team, come over, swim in the pool. You know, there's no judgment here. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, you are who you are, and that's that's how we live our life. So you know, I, I think that was uh, the thing that my kids grew up like that, and they're like that. So you know, that's. It's a great legacy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It it's a is. great legacy. It so uh, it sounds like, though, at some point during all of this, you decided to uh, join the reserve, the Marine Corps Reserve. Uh, I don't know if you were like me, but there was a point where I was like missing the military, so I joined the National Guard. Um, is that kind of what happened with you? Yeah, uh, I mean, I got calls to come back in and stuff like that, but. Uh, uh, my wife wasn't having any, and I understood it. I, I wasn't planning on going. And, and my idea when I got the cause was I'm a full time Marine or I'm a no time Marine. That's, you know, that's, I can't do part time, you know. Mm-hmm. But after 10 years, in 1986, I, uh, I talked to my wife and I says, um, I'm thinking about joining the reserves. And she says, uh, why? And I says, because I, I love it. I, I miss it. I, I, I just miss it. She says, are you going to have to go to war again? I says, no, I'm in the reserves. You know, <laughs> I says, one weekend a month, you know, uh, you know. Two, two weeks, weeks during the summer. summer. Yeah. You know, that's it. With pay. It's I not said, true. It is <laughs> not true. I'm telling you, Charlie. It's not true. Anyway. I, I understand that. I understand that. And I, I was at work one day. And uh, it was in December of, uh, I think it was 90. It was what it was. And uh, I get a call. I'm getting ready to come home, and I get a call. And uh, the supervisor says, uh, Staff Sergeant Henning. And I says, nobody knows I'm a staff sergeant. What the hell's going on here, you know? She says, you got a phone call. And I says, okay. So I, I called up. I mean, I answered the phone, and it was the um, the admin office over at my uh, my reserve unit. He says, uh, you've been activated. Be here at 06 tomorrow morning. And I says, What? He says, you've been activated for a desert storm, you know. 
And my supervisor is standing there, and I says, you know, I says, I won't be in tomorrow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I says, I just got activated, you know. And she says, don't worry about it. We'll take care of everything, you know. So uh, that was that. Was that. And, and then the hard thing was telling my wife because she didn't know. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You'll have to tune in next week to listen to the rest of Charlie's story. Thank you to the audience for listening in today. The Me, You, Us podcast is proudly sponsored by Consumers Energy, leaving Michigan better than we found it. Remember, you can find the Me, You, Us podcast on all major podcasting platforms. So be sure to go out, find us, and subscribe. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's one 800 273-8255. If you are a veteran or know a veteran who is in crisis, you can call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 for the Veterans Crisis Line. And remember to tune in every Wednesday as we talk about the things that impact your personal well-being.